Welcome to the Park Road Talk Back Podcast for June 16th, 2020. Today's podcast is a conversation with Russ Dean, co-pastor at Park Road Baptist Church with Amy Jacks Dean. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today we will be asking a few follow-up questions on the topic of Russ's sermon from this past Sunday. Before we get started, let me remind everyone that if you've not heard the sermon yet, you can always find recordings of them at the Park Road website, parkroadbaptist.org, under the Resources tab. So good morning, Russ. How are you today? I'm well, Bruce. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, I really enjoyed the sermon. There are a lot of things that I know that were of particular interest to me. And uh, I'll just jump right in. One of the things that you said that I thought was very powerful was your statement that gospel is always political. And I was wondering if you could expand on why you believe that is true and kind of what the ramifications that has for the relationship between church and state or between individual faith and the concept of citizenship. Yeah, I, I do believe the gospel is political, and, and uh, I don't mean by that partisan. I don't mean, um, as some people do t- today, understanding that you have to be a Republican to be a Christian or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't mean partisan, especially in terms of today's very divisive political uh, uh, atmosphere. Um, I mean political in the broader sense— the word politics comes from the the word polis, which just means people. And and so the gospel is political. It always has to do with people. Uh, But even more broadly and more specifically, I do think the gospel has to do with confronting political systems, the systems that control people, the systems that um, we design and and this was true in Jesus' day, which had a very, very different political system than American democracy, you know, today. Um, but I believe the gospel confronts the systems that we use to control people and speak to a very political situation until there is, you know, the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. You know, until we have reached that equality, uh, until, until we've reached uh, a time when people experience the fullness of the kingdom of God on earth, then I think the message of Jesus will always be challenging systems. And I started this sermon by talking about being in Cuba and talking to our sons who were in high school when we were there and talking to them about the way that the gospel in Cuba confronts the Cuban socialist system and the the, uh, um, the pastor there telling us that there's all that they that there's a communist spy somebody from the Communist Party planted in every church in Cuba that's what the pastor said and he says all pastors know it because the Communist Party knows that preachers and gospel message can stir people up and so it's it's political. It's subversive. And um, so in Cuba, the gospel is subversive. And I think it has the same power in the U.S. Um, I have been accused on multiple occasions of being, you know, anti-democratic or anti-American or, you know, anti-capitalist in my preaching. I just think that's the gospel. I think it, I think the gospel confronts our systems 
And so that's what I mean by it being political. Um, and, and so I, I think that's true in, in any system. I said in the sermon, it, it confronts communism, it confronts socialism, it confronts democracy. Um, until the kingdom comes on earth, the gospel will challenge those systems in a subversive way. So does that set up some sort of conflict between our faith and our citizenship? Are we kind of at odds one with the other, or do those two things coexist? I think it ought to set up a conflict, and I don't see that as a bad thing. And I don't think that makes me anti-American or anti-capitalist or anti, uh, you know, uh, uh, against democracy. To to realize that the gospel, the values of the gospel, I think are in tension with with the values of our system. And I think they ought to, I think the gospel ought to set up that tension. I think for a lot of people, there is no tension. And I, I, think, I think that's the danger of uh, co-opting um, Christianity into American values. Some pastor years ago, I heard say uh, that he, he was raised to believe that there was no, no difference in being a good American and being a good Christian that Christianity has just been adopted, co-opted into the values of America. And to be a patriot, to be a good American patriot, was to be the same thing as being Christian. I think Christian values ought to conflict and, 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 uh, and create some tension for us with our uh, American values. And that doesn't make me anti-American to acknowledge that. Uh, the scripture says we, our citizenship is from heaven. Um, th- there is a, a difference in the values of the kingdom of God and the values of just pure American democracy. And I think we ought to, we ought to feel those and, and th- that tension ought to move us toward being better citizens, um, better, uh, better c- civilians uh, um, in, in all that we do. So, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel that tension is there and we ought to allow it to, to remain. Right. And then you reference American uh, politics or citizenship, but there's not a place in the world where there's a complete synchronicity between Christian belief and uh, the system of government. Yeah, exactly. I said, in communist societies, the gospel challenges the peace. In totalitarian regimes, the gospel invites revolution. In democracies, the gospel offers a critique of status quo. I've, I've said on in other times, my preaching sometimes may sound anti-American. It, it may have a critique to American values. I hope if I were a Cuban pastor, the same could be said there that, well, your preaching sounds, you know, anti-socialist or anti-communist or, you know, sound, sounds like it's challenging our system. If I were uh, in China, I would hope that my preaching would, you know, until the kingdom of God comes, um, the gospel challenges human systems and and I, and I think that's the power of it. It challenges our systems to to point us to even bigger and better ideals, even than even bigger and better ideals than American democracy, which I hold in high esteem. Right. Yeah. And I I was also moved by the story you told of uh, someone who was feeding the poor, and they considered him a saint. And I guess the story goes when they when you ask why they are poor, then people 
think you're a communist or a socialist. Or- yeah, that's that's the former Brazilian archbishop. And um, in South America, there have been a lot of conflicts between um, with this idea of liberation theology that's been preached throughout South America and a lot of conflicts with the government. Um, and uh, numerous, uh, Oscar Romero was, was shot to death while offering mass um, because his preaching uh, seemed to stir up the masses, uh, to rile the masses. Um, and, and that was a, that was a political thing that was, that was regarded, um, well, that, that challenged the establishment. And, and so he, he was, he was assassinated. So this Bishop Archbishop, um, Dom Kamara says, when I feed the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they are poor, they call me a communist. You know, if I'm challenging the system, if I'm asking questions about why there's inequality in the United States, why there are children who can't, you know, be fed, my own church members have challenged me as being a socialist because I'm asking questions of our government. I I just think that's the nature of the gospel. So I, I, I can relate to that that statement by by Kamara. When I feed people, they call me a saint. When I challenge, when I ask questions, exactly. they call me a communist. So, what is the what do you think is the way for uh, a church or a Christian and the state or our government to work together? How how can they be headed in the same direction and both coexist? Yeah, I I think that's a a really good and really difficult question. I think that um, Christians ought to be politically involved. I think that they ought to be petitioning the government. They ought to be, you know, protesting if that's uh, at at times. They ought to be writing, um, you know, their representatives. And I hope they would be involved in action for a more just and more equal society where we're pushing toward that ideal of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. You know, th- this this gets difficult because people have different ideas about how government ought to function. You know, separation of church and state does not mean that uh, people of faith ought not be poli- politically active a- and involved. Um, I, I would hope that our faith would move us to be active in in the creation of a just society, um, and and that we would be motivated by our faith um, to be motivated to act in in, in political ways. Well, there was well. A, there's another uh, part of the sermon that I thought was interesting. You brought up the uh, kind of an alternative interpretation of the word repentance. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? I, I thought that was yeah. I was quoting um, a scholar named Ched Myers. And his commentary, this sermon was the last in the series of preaching through the gospel of Mark. Um, and Chad Meyer's commentary was helpful to Amy and me as we preached through that. His, his book is called Binding the Strong Man, which is a reference to a, a verse in, in the early chapter of the gospel, Binding the Strong Man, a political reading of Mark's story of Jesus. And Chad Myers very much thinks that not only is the gospel as we've received it political, but Jesus's message was political, that there were always strong overtones to um, how the people of his day ought to relate to 
the government, and that being the Roman occupying government. And uh, Myers is, is very fascinating to read his commentary um, and parables that Jesus told that we see sometimes as just nice, you know, nice stories, nice fables or something that we learn from. Um, and he'll point out, you know, the implications of the uh, the imagery in these parables that had very pointed political um, implication for the Roman government and, and as well as the establishment of Judaism, which in some ways was um, was allied with Rome in, in, in a very ironic kind of way. Um, and so in his commentary, um, he says, repentance of sin must be understood not in our modern sense as strictly personal angst or guilt, but in the Hebrew sense as the admission of our solidarity with historical injustice. Um, so repentance is recognizing how we have not confronted the powers that be, how we have allied ourselves with systems um, that benefit us to the exploitation of, of other people. Um, and that word is very relevant to me today as we talk about racism, the protest in the streets about racial justice, um, and this idea of racism and systemic racism, uh, that racism is so uh, entrenched, is so intrinsic to our systems that that uh, we need to be fighting against them. Um, and so repentance isn't just, oh, God, I've sinned because I, you know, stole something from, you know, stole a grape at the grocery store yesterday, or, you know, I spoke sharply to my wife or my children or whatever, you know, personal little in, uh, injustices we've had, but systems that create injustice, um, systems that continue to exploit and oppress people um, that we are part of, and so I think that's a powerful, and it goes back to my comment that the gospel is political in nature. It's not just about saving your soul. It's about helping us recognize how to make the entire system in which we're involved. And again, whether that being first century Rome, first century Israel with a Roman occupying government, or 21st century United States with an American democratic system, how to make our systems um, work better. Um, and have we been complicit with systems that foster injustice, that foster oppression of, uh, in the example I've just given, racism? You know, are, are we complicit with those systems um, or are we uh, recognizing our solidarity with them that we've been on the wrong side of history and we've been involved with historical injustice? And so we need to fight against that. Right. And then I think you coupled that with the concept of resistance, saying that resistance is not only acceptable, but is as necessary to a Christian living out their faith. Um, so it, it seems like that's kind of a, the uh, the next step, admitting solidarity with historical injustice and then following that up with some sort of action. Yeah. And, and, and so the question is, how do we fight 
the systems of injustice. And, and first is we must recognize. Um, I had a fascinating experience just recently, Bruce. Um, I was part of a small group of clergy who were asked to write a statement that could be signed uh, and get as broad appeal as possible um, in, in the aftermath of the, the uh, killing of George Floyd and the protests that, that, that came about. And we were trying to say three things. We apologize. We're angry. We want to commit to some action together, those three things. And as we sought to write that statement in as broad a way as possible, we were trying to get more conservative Christians at the table. Most of the groups Amy and I have been uh, uh, involved in, not necessarily intentionally, it's just the groups we have, have known about, have been, those groups have been more progressive clergy. This was an attempt to get a broader group and to make sure that we included some evangelical pastors. And so it was a very interesting conversation to write this statement. And uh, the statement was started by a mainline, by the pastor of a mainline, what would be considered somewhat progressive church here in town. Um, and he, he wrote a draft of the statement uh, and used the word complicity. Uh, we, we apologize. We acknowledge our complicity um, that became a little bit of a sticking point. Some more conservative pastors didn't want to admit complicity. They wanted to acknowledge historic complicity. Um, and I thought that was really fascinating. Um, so there's this unease with acknowledging our complicity today. Um, we, we hear that in uh, officials from the current administration who won't admit that there is any systemic racism in this country. And I, I just think that's, I just think that's completely blind to, to, to the situation. Um, I think we are complicit. I think the systems are bent in favor of white people still bent against African-Americans. So we must begin by repentance, by acknowledging how we are complicit, how we do benefit. And if we're not fighting against those systems in some active way, th then we are, we are complicit. And I think that's exactly what Chad Myers is talking about here, that, that he says is a very Hebraic, a very Hebrew understanding of repentance. Um, to acknowledge the systems that are broken. And so first we acknowledge, um, we repent, and then after we've acknowledged, then the action is resistance against those systems that would continue to um, oppress some people, a group of people, at the expense of another. Right. And I think uh, at one point you kind of advised us to step away from uh, what you referred to as comfortable Christianity. I think you were, it's a bit of a challenge to people to look at uh, their faith and how they're living their faith, and, and perhaps uh, they've gotten too comfortable with that. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, this is all, all related to, to the same issue of, uh, of challenging systems, and we can, we can hear Christianity. A lot of the Christianity that many people were raised with had to do with what you believed. 
And, you know, did you accept Christ and did you get saved and did you get baptized? And, you know, it has to do with sort of uh, points of doctrine. And do we believe all the right stuff? And if so, well, we're saved and we're going to heaven and that's it. And, uh, well, we can acknowledge that, you know, there's some poor people out there. And, well, there's some children who, you know, don't have adequate food on the weekends. And, you know, we probably really ought to be doing something about that. But the truth is, if we don't, well you know, we still got saved. And so we're still going to go to heaven when we die. And so there, there is, there is built into that kind of theology on which I was raised. There is a kind of built in um, movement toward apathy because I don't, that's, I don't really have to change the systems. What Christianity is about is my own personal soul, my own personal salvation. And so that allows us to come and, you know, let Christianity be, um, you know, my own comfort and, you know, the things that I believe, but I don't really have to go out there and be active in the world. Um, and so that's what I mean by comfortable Christianity. And, and I think that Jesus challenges that. And I think he says, we have to be active. We have to, in Chad Meyer's words, repent and resist. Um, we have to be pushing the systems until the kingdom of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so that, that's what I mean by comfortable Christianity. And it's, it's easy for, I'm the pastor of a largely white, largely affluent south side of Charlotte, comfortable congregation. Our folks don't don't have to struggle with the next paycheck and where they're, uh, you know, how they're going to feed their children, what they're going to do, um, how they're going to face the systems. You know, we we all benefit from those systems, and and so I want to keep that challenge before our congregation, and that can be. Um, that can be a little confrontational, and and so again, I've been accused of being anti-American or, you know, anti-whatever. Um, I, I, I want to take seriously the challenge of the gospel rather than us just sit back and, you know, enjoy life um, because, it, because we happen to, to, uh, to be part of comfortable in our society. You know, I've always been fascinated by the dual roles that I think that you and Amy have and, and Dan and the, the rest of the staff at the church in terms of on one hand, you're building community and bringing people together, and and on the other hand, you're challenging those people, and you're you're making them look at some hard questions and think deeply about their lives and the lives of people around them. And I wonder if you ever feel like you're kind of pulling in two directions at the same time. So I see our role as calling people back to the cross as Jesus understood it, as giving our lives for one another, giving our lives to one another. Um, and so I think there is a dual role um, that Amy and I feel ourselves very much in, the pastoral role and the prophetic role, and the pastoral role to comfort and to uh, encourage people, um, and yet the prophetic role to challenge us um, there's that expression, the gospel comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable, that pastoral role and the prophetic role. And so I don't feel ever at cross purposes like one of those is wrong or conflicts with the other. I think they ought to be, they ought to go together. Um, and if that is calling us to the way of Jesus, which is a, uh, 
a cruciform life, some have said, a cross-shaped life, then, then that is our role um, as ministers of the gospel, I, I think. Well, Russ, as usual, you've given us a lot to think about. I really appreciate your time today. Bruce, thanks for the conversation. I hope this will be a helpful way for people to engage these sermons this summer. Thank you. Absolutely. And we would invite people to send us questions or comments. They have something they'd like to hear from Russ or Amy. Uh, we invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. You will always be able to find it on Park Road's website under resources. And you can subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. On behalf of everyone at Park Road Baptist Church, I want to thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you. Mm-hmm.